This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. So when we first began planning out the Ave Explores content, and we started dreaming about how we wanted to introduce Our Lady, and we knew that it was... Um, it's a big topic. It's a big thing to tackle to try to encourage and inspire a love of the Blessed Mother. Um, as you might have heard in the first episode or even in the trailer or have read in some of the content that's been delivered uh, digitally and shared all over social media, we can think about Mary in a lot of different ways. We can think about Mary as um, a mother. We can think about Mary as a sister. We can think about Mary as a woman without sin. We can obviously think about Mary in the way that she has appeared two people throughout the course of human history. But I wanted this first episode to really introduce Mary in terms of how can Mary be an example for us in our everyday lived Catholic life? Specifically, what about Mary makes her not only worthy of honor and prestige within our faith, but what can we imitate? Because Part of the Christian life is imitating those who have lived the Christian life well. It's striving for sanctity and looking at other people who have lived heroically virtuous lives and, and, and emulating that. And Mary is someone that does that for us to perfection. Um, and so in contemplating that and in thinking about that and in trying to figure out how to introduce that to people, we looked kind of at the list of, of folks that we wanted to include, and my friend Meg Hunter-Kilmer rose to the fore. She was someone that I knew we wanted to bring on, someone that I wanted to chat about, not just because of uh, the uniqueness of her life, and she'll tell you that in the interview, but, but really the kind of person that she is, which is someone who is striving for sanctity in a very unique way and is living out her Christian life, is living out her, her very much her vocation, is, is striving to share Jesus by just simply being present to the people in the places that he has invited and challenged her to go. Ultimately, what Meg is a snapshot of for me, and I think for so many of you as you listen to this, is someone who trusts in providence, someone who trusts in the divine will of God in a unique and beautiful way, someone who has seen Mary and has tried to model Mary in her own life because of the radical trust that she lives with day in and day out. And so it's that radical trust, it's that emulation of Mary, it's that recognition of the goodness of providence that we're going to talk about today here on Ave Explorers. We've got this incredible interview coming up with Meg Hunter-Kilmer, and I hope you very much enjoy it. All right, well, so hey, Meg, it's great to see you. You too, Katie. Yeah, where are you at right now? So I am currently sitting in a closet <laughs> in my friend's house with her five children screaming in the living room because they are all home from school because we are hiding from a hurricane in Florida. <laughs> and how, okay, so you don't, are you, do you live in Florida? Is this like a normal thing for you? No, so I'm a missionary. I live out of my car. So I drive all around the country and fly around the world and give talks and retreats. I've been on the road for seven years living out of my car. I've been to 50 states and 25 countries, and I just have really bad timing when it comes to Florida and hurricanes, because <laughs> this is the second time this has happened to me in two years. Maybe the Lord's calling you to come live on the Gulf Coast permanently someday, because like you're yeah. used to this. It's a hurricane thing, I'm just saying. Yeah. Okay, so how you live out of your car. 
mean, you're not homeless, but you are, but by choice, like, tell me that whole, you know, I, when you stayed with us last year, my mom was like, who is this person? Oh, she's my friend. She lives out of her car. Is she okay? Does she need help? Yeah, no, she's fine, mom. This is a choice. Like she just comes to Lake Charles for a sandwich and to see people, (laughs) which is true. So tell me the story. Why, why the car? Why the hobo for Christ? What's the deal? So I actually went to Notre Dame. I got two degrees in theology from Notre Dame, and then I taught middle school and high school religion for five years. And then in 2012, I just felt like God was calling me to follow him in a more literal way. I knew he was calling me out of the classroom. And, uh, and it, it seemed to me like he was asking me just to, just to trust him and just to follow. And I thought it was going to be like two months, you know, I was like, okay, like me and Jesus, will have this like cool little trust stint. And then he'll give me like a job and a house and stuff. Um, but it's been seven years of living in strangers' houses. I don't sleep in my car, mostly so that I can tell <laughs> teenage girls not to sleep in their cars. Good clarification. <laughs> but I do sleep in the houses of strangers I've met on the internet, and I really actively discourage that as a general rule as well. Um, but, you know, it, it's worked out for me, and it gives me the opportunity really to experience God's providence in a very powerful way, to experience what it is to trust him, and just to be completely available. You know, like people will invite me to come speak and I'll speak to a group of five, you know, I'll drive eight hours and speak to a group of five people because I have that flexibility, you know, cause I, I don't charge anything cause I don't have any bills really. So it kind of just all works out. Just gas and car insurance, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so trusting in God's providence is a big theme for you in your life. Is that easy? Is that hard? What, what is that like on a Tuesday when you're in a hurricane hit town? <laughs> it's a lot easier now. Okay. It was, I mean, it's definitely been something the Lord has been forming in me very deeply. And I think after years of seeing God step in and just miraculously arrange things, not mm-hmm. usually fix the things that I had planned so that they then work, usually ruin the things that I had <laughs> do something better. Yeah. It's, it's gotten to the point where broadly speaking, I really do trust him. It's much harder in small things for me, mostly because I forget that God is sovereign in small things. You know, mm-hmm. like if my, my like airplane is grounded and I'm stuck in some terrifying country and I'm going to have to sleep on the street there. I'm like, all right, Jesus, like, I know you got this. Mm -hmm. I hit a red light on the way to mass and I'm like, everything is awful. (laughs) Right. I'm kind of working on getting it from like the big major events really down into the nitty gritty of like, Oh, I spilled something and I'm going to have to clean it up, you know, like, but it's okay because like God is still God when you spilled a lot of stuff on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, so, so you're saying that it's easier in some sense to trust God in the big things because we know he works in really big ways, but in those little tiny nitty gritty details day to day, it it might not seem like he cares about that kind of thing, right? Like how do we begin to understand that God does care about the tiny things he does care about, not just how you're going to pay your bills, but that, or, or, or put food on the table, but that you're also going to get to mass on time or that, you know, your kids are going to learn to say yes, ma'am and no, ma'am mm-hmm. and be respectful, right? Like how do we, how do we begin to, to activate that, that muscle within ourselves to trust him in those little things? One thing that's huge for me is meditating on what God has done in the past, okay. because yeah. we see what God has done. You see those patterns and you recognize who he is. And this is very true. You know, you look at the Israelites, 
they keep talking about the Exodus. I mean, mm-hmm. today they're still talking about the Exodus. And sometimes as a Christian, you're like, you have other stories, you know? Yeah. It, it got, there's more. But they're like, no, like, this is the moment when we realize that in all of the ugliness and all of the mess, God was for us. And they keep telling that story to remind themselves that even when they don't know what God is doing, they know who he is. And I think we do that through scripture, through the lives of the saints, but then even through our own lives mm-hmm. to look back and be like, oh man, like if I hadn't missed that bus, I wouldn't have, I don't know, seen that commercial that made me go to that store. Like these little things where you have these serendipitous moments and then you remember that like God is at work in serendipity as well. And when you mm-hmm. see it in the big things in your life, you can also sort of extrapolate to say, okay, even in these mild moments of discomfort, like I know that our God was a God who suffered discomfort, not just agony, but discomfort and frustration and plans being altered. And if he if he knows what it is to walk that in his own life, then he knows what it is to walk that with me. And so I can trust that yeah. like somehow he's at work and maybe not in ways that like are really even going to be worth mentioning once we get to the beatific vision. But yeah. So, you know, like I had a moment a couple of months ago, I was in California and I was going to mass and you know, like, I just don't trust people not to cancel daily mass. So yeah. I checked the website, I checked the bulletin and I called the office and they were like, yeah, mass is at five 30. And I got there and there was a sign on the door that was like, no mass this week. Oof. So I, I go to mass every day. So I like pull up masstimes.org and I was like, okay, like I got to go to this one. I had an event at seven and I was like, okay, I've got a six fifteen mass I can get to. It's like 20 minutes away. I texted my friend. I said, can you stall? Um, and so she said, yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> drive all the way up there and it's like, Spanish mass and it goes super long. And then there's a crazy ton of traffic. But when I, when I got up there, I had a text from my friend that she was like, well, yeah, but there's a mass a lot earlier and a lot closer. Do you just want to go to that one? And at that point it was too late. And I, I just had this overwhelming feeling like this is Providence. Like I don't get mass times wrong. Like I don't mm-hmm. miss mass time. I don't like misread this website. I do this every day of my life. Like if I read this wrong, it's because God is doing something. And like, I don't know what he was doing. Like maybe somebody <laughs> needed to see a gringa at mass, a Spanish mass, you know, like maybe somebody needed yeah. a pro-life license plate. Maybe I just needed to like sit in the car and listen to my audiobook waiting in LA traffic. I don't know. But, it, yeah. but there was just this really profound realization. And I think for me, much stronger than I've had it in in quotidian circumstances and everyday circumstances that like, look, if, if this is what Providence has allowed, then Providence is working through this. And I don't need to know what God is doing because I trust that he is doing something. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a beautiful, I don't need to know what, I just need to know that. Mm -hmm. And that's hard for the everyday, especially like type A personality. I, I would even say women in some sense, because we do like to control and we like to plan and we like to organize. I always, I'm, my favorite thought with the Blessed Mother specifically, which is what this whole Ave Explorer series is about, is often like Mary was wedding planning when the angel appeared to her. Like, and I remember wedding planning and how I, like, I had spreadsheets and I had multiple Dropbox files and Pinterest pages and like was meeting with my mom like daily. We would have multiple conversations about the venue and the food and everything like and literally a week before the wedding, the bridal, the, the bridesmaid dresses had not come in yet. 
um, they were stuck in customs because they'd been ordered from Europe. And so they were stuck in customs and like, so none of my girls had them altered yet. And like, we had to have a contingency plan of, okay, everybody's just got to find something in this color scheme. And it was, it was terrifying because we planned all the details. And I know it seems silly. It's just a bridesmaid dress. But at the same time, it's like I planned the guy's clothes around this bridesmaid dress. I picked the picture, the, you know, the, the flowers, even the food. Like we had picked certain plates at the at the reception based off of the color palette. Wow. And now we were going to have to come up with something different. And so I always think of the Annunciation and like Mary was in a garden. That's what, you know, as the story so goes like, was she picking out flowers for the wedding? Was she like coming up with like what the arrangement? And now all of a sudden there's this angel and he's telling her, Hey, you're going to give birth to the son of God. Like providence is written into the story of the incarnation in some sense. Mm -hmm. And so like learning to trust the Lord in the big and the small allows a moment of fiat in some sense. Right. Yeah. And that, that derailing of her plants, you know, like (laughs) she, she had a plan. And I feel like I say that to the Lord all the time, like Jesus, I had a plan. And he's like, Baby, you did not sign up for me to be your butler. <laughs> yeah. You signed up for me to be your savior. And if you want me to be your savior, it means I am God in all circumstances. And I'm like, but I really wanted to have that sandwich, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and they were closed on this Sunday. Why? Yeah. Why is my life so hard? Yeah. And in the really difficult circumstances as well. But I really do think for a lot of people, it's easier to deal with in the huge, difficult circumstances mm-hmm. because you you have to cling to the Lord, you know, it's in those smaller things that you, that you just forget. Yeah. You you just forget. So how, how can we look to Mary then? Like she obviously said yes in this huge moment in the midst of all these plans, we know that she then ponders in her heart, what's been said to her. Talk to us just about what we can learn from maybe those big moments of Mary's life where there was an immense amount of trust. I mean, mm-hmm. I, and, and I'll, I'll give some background here to the listeners. So when I first reached out to Meg, my initial comment was, hey, I want you to talk to us about Marian uh, devotions and, and and apparitions because you're you're kind of the queen of saint stories. Mm-hmm. And you know all those little tiny – like you've posted stuff on Instagram about saints that like I've never heard of before. And I'm like, man, I'm just like lame over here going with the Big Ten. And she's pulling out these folks that I never even heard of. I'm like, well, look at these incredible stories. And your response – was perfect. Your response was, I'm more interested in talking about Mary as she lived rather than as she appears today. Not that how she appears today is not important, but let's talk about her life. And so Meg Hunter Kilmer, I'm stuck in an elevator and you're talking to me about God's providence and you're going to tell me about that providence through Mary. How can we learn that from her? Man. Yeah. I just, I love I love looking at what we really do know about Mary because there's so much that we don't, you know, Mm -hmm. there's so much that's left blank, which is such a grace because I think as a woman, especially, you know, we know that we need to imitate the blessed mother, which is already difficult when she's virgin and mother, right? That's a tricky thing to accomplish. (laughs) But, you know, we get this idea that like, this is what her personality looked like. And she must've been so gentle and so sweet and so like quiet, like smiling in the corner. But scripture doesn't say that, Mm -mm. you know, like scripture Scripture doesn't say whether Mary was like maybe a little bit salty sometimes, you know, like we know Mm -hmm. that she was without sin. Right. But I had someone ask me once, do you think Mary ever yelled? And I was like, absolutely. She She would have had to. She was a mom. Exactly. Well, and like, I don't know that she ever needed to yell at Jesus. Right. But like she was everybody's mom. Right. She was the mother of every child in that town. She had to yell at some kid to get out of the road when a cart was Mm -hmm. passing, you know, Um, and just to recognize that what we know about Mary is showing us not her personality, right? But this framework of what it Mm -hmm. is 
to be a believer, to be a follower of Jesus. And so I always imagine, you know, thinking about this trust and this providence, I always imagine when the angel gives Mary this declaration, I always imagine her not saying anything afterwards and Gabriel waiting there and like kind of getting more and more uncomfortable. And Mary's sort of like dreamily staring into space and Gabriel's like, um, well, I need an, I need an answer. <laughs> I picture Mary looking up surprised and just being like, Oh, Oh, I'm God's handmaid. He can do what he wants. Yeah. You're still here. <laughs> she's so completely absorbed in the will of God that it doesn't even occur to her that anybody would say no, you know, mm. and like, how do we, how do we enter in to that frame of surrender to the Lord yeah. where when God calls and whether that call is like a booming voice from heaven saying enter seminary or something going wrong in your life, you know, or a positive pregnancy test when you weren't expecting one or being laid off, right? These things, which sometimes may not be a thing that God desires, but they are God's call on our life because they're just the circumstances that we're dealing with, right? Mm -hmm. And, And this is the reality of our lives to be able to just look at the Lord and be like, I'm yours. Mm-hmm. You can do with me what you want. Hey, it's Katie. I hope you are enjoying this interview with Meg Hunter-Kilmer as much as I enjoyed um, conducting it. It's a great conversation. I I think there's a lot to learn from what she has to say. And I just want to take a second to also encourage you to see what other people have had to say about Our Lady through the entire Ave Explorers project. You can click on over to AveMariaPress.com right now and content is already being uploaded every single week about Our Lady, about why she matters, about why we love her, about how to grow in relationship with her. We've got incredible pieces from folks like J.D. Flynn, Letitia Adams, um, Patrick Nevy, Claire Swinarski. We've got incredible more podcast episodes coming up later on in the season. But ultimately, we just want you to take advantage of all the great content that we have available. So please click on over to AveMariaPress.com to take advantage of all the Ave Explorers resources that already exist there for you. All right, back to the interview. I love to picture Mary. My favorite title for Mary is not a Marian title. It's a personal devotion. I call her Our Lady Lover of the Word. Mm. Um, Both obviously the word incarnate, but I think about Mary. She, you know, the tradition is that she lives in the temple from when she was three until she was about 12. And Mary's the first person ever since Adam and Eve to live without original sin, right? So she's studying scripture without her reason clouded by sin. And so I just picture her being like six and seven years old with all of these scrolls laid open on the ground around her and like drawing connections that nobody had ever made before. Mm -hmm. And so then Gabriel comes and he gives her that enunciation. And obviously like this is an exciting and a wonderful thing, but Mary, as a woman who was steeped in the word, she knew Isaiah 53. She knew the song of the suffering servant. She knew She knew that the Messiah would be pierced for our offenses and crushed for our sins. She Mm -hmm. knew that the people would kill him and then look upon him who they had pierced and mourn as though for a firstborn. She knew what he would suffer long before she handed him to Simeon. That's what she was saying yes to. Yeah. Mary, Mary wasn't duped. God wasn't like, okay, I'm going to give you a baby. <laughs> like, right. And then he was like, actually, I'm going to murder the baby. You know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Mary knew, and maybe not 
(laughs) maybe not in its fullness, right? Maybe not every detail, but she knew that her child would suffer. Yeah. She, she was told. Right. Right. And she knew that, that she would be handing him over to be killed. Um, and I, I love the presentation when Mary brings Jesus to the temple. Um, and they, the tradition was because all of firstborns belong to God. The tradition was that you would ransom them when they were 30 days old, uh, if they weren't a Levite and then they would belong to you again. Mary and Joseph don't take Jesus when he's 30 days old. They go when he's 40 days old, which is when Mary makes an offer, an offering mm-hmm. for purification. There's no account of Jesus being ransomed mm. as an infant because he belonged to the Lord. And when mm. they brought him, they brought him to the temple knowing that he was the Lamb of God, that he was this sacrificial lamb. And Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God. He said, Lord, now I can die happy. And Mary looks at this knowing the joy that her son is. And then Simeon looks in her eyes and says, and you yourself, a sword shall pierce. You know, everything that is beautiful in Mary's life Mm -hmm. is tied in with the cross. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's the same for us, right? The way that Providence provides for us is, is beautiful and it's mysterious and it's glorious and it's hard Mm -hmm. and it's gruesome and it involves dying to ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And to see the way that Mary holds those two things together all throughout her life, I think is is so inspiring as one who is walking through this valley of tears. Yeah. To be able to say, okay, like, it's okay that this is hard. It's okay that this is miserable. You know, like I think about Mary at the foot of the cross. She knew Jesus was going to rise from the dead. She knew. Mm-hmm. Maybe everybody else didn't know because the way that Jesus speaks, it's confusing to them. They're always pondering what rising from the dead should mean because it's a debate at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, does the soul live on after death? But Mary knows. Yeah. Mary knows that man is walking out of the tomb on Sunday morning. She knows. And she's still bereft. She's still yeah. disconsolate. You know, like we see these images of Mary with tears running down her face. And just to look at that and to say, it's okay to be miserable. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I don't trust God. Like I can trust that God is working good and still say these circumstances are atrocious. Yeah. Be heartbroken, even though I know that Sunday is coming because Friday is miserable. Yeah, it's awful. And then Saturday, right? The saddest day in human history, in my opinion, because Mary's without her son. Mm -hmm. And even though she knows he's coming on Sunday, like you said, you can still be mourning and clinging to that, that sadness. You've been to Rome, of course. And you walk into St. Peter's Basilica and you look to the right and there's that gorgeous Pieta and who's buried right next door, right? Who just got put there, but mm-hmm. John Paul II, who I think has been kind of a a visual snapshot for at least our generation. Like he is the millennials Pope in some sense, because we all grew up with him, but we grew up with him during that time of immense suffering. And, and what was his motto and who did he cling to? But Mary, who I think is that, that example of the Providence trusting Mm-hmm. Lord loving, lover of the word, as you said, which is beautiful. And when you're canonized someday, we'll all be able to give you credit for that. Um, I have my own personal Marian devotion. It's Our Lady of the Jet Bridge. And I pray Hail Mary every time I get on the plane. And people have often said to me, where did that come from? It's like my head and Instagram. That's where it came from, right? So like, I think we can make up these Marian devotions of how we see her and how we cling to her. And I'm often reminded of when John Paul II um, was shot in St. Peter's Square, 
um, I guess that was in the eighties. I forget. Maybe it was late seventies, early eighties. The story goes that as he was falling backwards, he saw our lady. Um, and so then after he got better and he was back, uh, as I'm of course abbreviating much of the story, what did he have installed in the corner of that? Like where he, where he would have fallen and where he would have looked up. If you, if you stand in a certain spot in St. Peter's Basilica, you can see, or St. Peter's square, you can see that image of our lady as like his thank you to her for, for protecting him, but also kind of a reminder to all of us that in that moment of pain, in that moment, when you're shot in that moment, when you feel as if there is no hope, you can look up and there she is. Right. right? And, right. and trusting that providence. So, so let's, let's go back to you living in a car um, <laughs> to bring it back around you living out of your car and living in strangers homes. How for you has Mary been maybe a comfort personally? Um, how, how do you incorporate her into your spirituality, into your daily life? I mean, do you have a rosary on your rearview mirror? Do you carry a rosary in your pocket? Is there a prayer card that you particularly cling to? I mean, not we're sacramental people. We don't believe in talismans, but like what, what does Marian devotion look like for you? And that's a question I'm asking all of our podcast guests, because we want people in this Ave Explore series to understand that Mary is not an idea, but she's someone that we can love and grow close to. I mean, I have a rosary hanging from my rearview mirror because I'm Catholic, and I think it's required, right? Is that Because <laughs> I was I'm pretty sure that you have to. Yeah, it's what, when you speed and it starts to fly back, then you know you're going too fast. That's the whole point. <laughs> exactly. So I was not raised with the Blessed Mother, um, and it has been really, really a journey for me. Um, and I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that I'm there. I am not by any means a, an archetype of Marian devotion. Um, I prayed my first rosary when I was 14 and I remember going home from youth group and telling my mom, like, I don't even know those prayers. And she was like, you do know the prayers. And I was like, not all of them. You know, <laughs> it's your fault. Um, but I had a, I was involved in this youth group and I heard two talks on the Brown scapular in one week. And when I was in high school, I was like really a big one for signs. And so I was like, okay, well, it's a sign. I need to wear the scapular. And if I'm going to wear the scapular, I have to pray a rosary every day. So like, fine. So I started praying the rosary every day when I was 16 and I don't really quit things, um, which is not a sign of virtue. It's just a sign of stubbornness, but God can work through our brokenness. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I've been praying the rosary ever since. And it's really been, you know, like I, I read books like Scott Hans, Hail Holy Queen was huge for me in terms of mm -hmm. Marian dogmas, um, Brant Petrie's, uh, Jesus and the Jewish roots of Mary is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, Carol Hauslander's the read of God was really helpful for me in understanding Mary, not just as the subject matter of dogma, mm -hmm. um, but actually as someone with whom I could be in relationship. But it was something mm -hmm. that, you know, like praying the rosary was sort of an obligation. Um, I was trying to have a devotion to Mary. I was like, okay, with the theology of it. And then in 2018, uh, I was writing a weekly column for Alatea and I was like, I'm done not loving Mary. Like I'm just done. I'm writing a column every week on the Blessed Mother. Mm. If I'm going to make myself love her. <laughs> and I started really to explore who Mary is to various different groups of people. You know, like I meditated mm. on the, um, the flight into Egypt and thought about Mary hearing the screams of the mothers who were mm. holding their dead children. And I thought about who Mary is for refugees and I prayed about who Mary is for victims of clerical abuse mm. when they can't go to Jesus, the great high priest, and they can't go to God, the father, but they can hang on to the skirts of their mother and bury their face in her skirts mm. and never love them. 
Uh, and that was really, really important for me, I think, to get beyond, you know, the rosary is awesome. And I'm still a big fan of praying the rosary every day, because even when you pray the rosary badly, it is objectively a good prayer, right. <laughs> a good thing. But for me, meditating on Mary and like imagining the humanity of her, imagining her reality, looking at the wedding feast at Cana, when there's this great need and Mary just says, Lord, here's their need. Like Jesus, they have no wine. She doesn't say, this is how I need you to supply it. Make sure that you have a Cabernet. You know, like I think a Merlot would be nice. She just says they have no wine. And to, to ask for the grace to trust her, to trust him like that, right? Just to say, Lord, here are my needs and I'm not going to give you a mm-hmm. five-year plan. I'm just going to say, I need you to be God right now. Yeah. Um, look at Elizabeth greeting Mary and saying, blessed are you among women and recognizing that that's, that's a title that's used for JL and for Judith in the old Testament, JL who drives a tent peg through the forehead of Israel's enemy and Judith who beheads Israel's enemy. Like Mary is not a wilting violet, right? No. Like, She's not demure. Queen. Yeah. And the way that she beheads the enemy is less machete driven than Judith's, but, but to recognize that my, feminine strength is Marian, right? Mm-hmm. That I don't have to, I don't have to fade or to shrink, mm-hmm. uh, to come into my own as a woman of Mary. And so, yeah, for me, it's just been a lot of looking at the blessed mother and thinking, how is it that other people love you? And, you know, the end of that year, I was like, okay, like, how did this go? And I, I have a fondness for the blessed mother that I never had before. Mm. Um, and it's not, you know, I'm not Pope John Paul or I just want to like lay everything out for her all the time. Like I love her. I do, mm-hmm. but, but there's a, there's an intimacy in just like, she kind of makes me smile now in a way that she never did before. And for me, what it took was spending an entire year saying like, I, I want to know everything that I can know about who you are and how people love you and to look at your words in scripture and to look at these moments when you don't speak um, and just recognizing, I think probably the most important thing that I've learned from the blessed mother uh, is to gaze at Jesus. Mm. I saw a window in Owensboro, Kentucky, where she was just holding his pudgy little baby finger and (laughs) staring at his finger and just, just considering the way that new moms adore Mm. their babies and to, to hold Jesus like that as an infant and to look at him as a toddler, the way that his mother did and to look at him mm-hmm. when he began his public ministry and to feel that, that love and that adoration, and that pride that his mother did. I think for me, that's been the biggest thing with Mary is just trying to look at Jesus the way that she looks at Jesus and to love him with that intensity. Mm-hmm. And it's been so beautiful. I think it's a perfect spot to, to leave it on. Um, to learn to, to gaze at Jesus the same way Mary does mm-hmm. is is a great challenge, I think, for all of us who want to learn more about her, who want to get to know her better. Right? You can learn about her, but then you can also ask to, to become close to her. Right? Like I can tell you a lot of things about my mom, but I can also just like go shopping with her and we don't talk a whole heck of a lot, but it's a lot of it's a lot of fun to be together, right? So like to be together with our mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so Meg, tell me where people can find you. Um, and, and especially where you are on the road. I know you post a lot of things on your Instagram stories, letting people know this is where I'm at, but, but is there like a definitive 
Meg Hunter Kilmer tracker that we can follow somewhere. And that would be good, right? Although if people get weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, we don't want we don't want right, to stop. Right. If you Google Hobo for Christ, you'll find my website, my podcast. Um, if you click through to my website, you'll see all of the social media buttons on the sides. You know, I think Meg gives us a lot to think about, but most especially the idea and the concept that Mary adored Jesus. I, I, I think about myself as a mother and how sometimes I'll catch myself just like staring at my daughter. And I know that, I mean, obviously like moms look at their kids, but like just, I'll just look at her and whatever she's doing, you know, sometimes she's dancing in the living room or sometimes she's coloring a picture in, in the playroom or, or she's sitting at the, the dining room table and she's trying to figure out how to, how to fit peas on a fork, which is a pretty amusing thing to watch a toddler attempt to do because I'm a full grown adult and I can't even put peas on a fork sometimes. And I'm just, I marvel at my kid. And I can only imagine how remarkable it must have been for Mary to marvel at her son, especially in the moments when she was witnessing maybe his ministry, but also just witnessing him grow, witnessing become the man that we know as savior and king, but she first knew as son. I am so excited that you got the chance to hear what Meg had to say and that you get to think about providence and trust and and how you yourself perhaps adore Jesus with a Marian heart. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad that you stuck around to the end of this podcast to listen to all this incredible stuff about Our Lady. There's more content. Um, there's more stuff with Ave Explorers over at the Ave Maria Press website. The link is down in the show notes along with a text code if you want to subscribe to all the Ave Maria Press content to get it straight to your email inbox. We have more podcast episodes coming out in the coming weeks, so please make sure to subscribe to this Ave Explorers podcast on Apple Podcasts, at Google Play, on Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we'd be grateful for a rating and a review and for you to share the episode and, and, and share with people this new project that we're doing. And you can find, again, all this information and more over at the Ave Maria Press website, AveMariaPress.com.